Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, it's Friday and this is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new show every day of the season and a show today where four is the magic number. Manchester United threw to the Europa League semis after a 4-0 aggregate win over Granada. Can Ole Gunnar Solskjaer finally win his first semi-final after four attempts? Arsenal 2 joining them with their 4-0 second-leg demolition of Slavia Prague, which of course means four Premier League teams in the semi-finals of UEFA European competitions this season. Four is the amount of seasons Marcelo Bielsa would have been Leeds boss for if he sticks around for another campaign. Rumours of a new contract have been doing the rounds. And four is how many FPL chips I have left this season. I've banked them all to the end. Matt Dyson from the Game Week podcast will be letting us know how best to use them a little bit later. My name's Niall. Welcome along to the podcast. And alongside me on this sunny Friday morning here, Steve McNaughton. How are you doing, Steve? Hey, boys. How are we getting on? Yeah, I'm very well. We've also got Marley Anderson. How are you doing, Marley? Hello, guys. Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Let's talk about last night's European action. There's been a distinctly European theme running through this week's Football Social Daily, of course, because we have reached the business end of those UEFA competitions. Thursday nights mean Europa League nights. Manchester United and Arsenal both in action and both winning their respective ties against Granada and Slavia Prague to get through to the Europa League semi-finals. It's at Old Trafford where we're going to start, though, where Manchester United beat Spanish side Granada 2-0. It was comfortable enough for them, although Granada did have their flashes, a couple of headers, a couple of opportunities, perhaps to set the cat amongst the pigeons. But in the end, Manchester United held out for a reasonably comfortable 2-0 victory to win 4-0 on aggregate. That means they now face Roma in the semi-finals of the Champions League. Steve, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said that that's a, a proper European tie. I'm not sure what he means by that. I guess he means that it's two reasonably big clubs going toe-to-toe in the semi-final of a European competition. And there's decent history between United and Roma in European competition over the years. But I guess... Before anyone takes a look at the opposition that United have to face and how good they are, people will start talking about this run of semi-finals that Manchester United have lost under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It's definitely something which is going to be a bit of a subplot going into the semi-finals. So it's a string of defeats that he needs to end. Definitely, you know, no one wants to get to be unable to get past the semi. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, speaking from experience, there, Steve. Uh, well, listen, mate, I've filled three prams. So there's no problem there. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, um, you know, but just getting a bit of blue in for the dads, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I just think that, yeah, obviously, you know, you know, to keep losing out is 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 not a good thing, and. Um, he will be willing to address that, and I think they will address it this time. I think United are, you know, I wouldn't say far and away the team that to beat in the competition. I just think they're better than the other three teams, you know, that are in there. And I think that United will, I think they'll comfortably dispatch Roma over two legs. Um, you know, I don't think it's a it's a classic Roma team that that we've seen over the years when they've had 
you know, players like De Rossi and and and, and Totti and Nerd and and people like that. I think you know they're obviously a handy side, but for the team that are second in the Premier League, I don't think they'll they'll have any issues. And I think Ollie will break that um, hoodoo, uh, should we say, and um, and make it to the final. And I think you know as, as a neutral, um, you know it's probably going to be better if they play Arsenal in the final. But mm. yeah, I think I think Ollie's going to lead them to to silverware this season with that. What do you think, Marley? Because as I say, the focus going into this one isn't even going to be on the players. It's going to be on Solskjaer and whether Manchester United can break that run of losing in the semi-final. Because if it happens once, okay, fair enough, you get beaten. Twice, you think, all right, three times, four times, then it starts to become a bit of a, a problem. And the narrative begins about Manchester United having a mental block and unable to win in a semi-final. I think it's important that they do get the job done just to stop that being the case every time now they reach the latter stages of a competition because if they do lose to Roma and lose another one that's only going to magnify and increase again and again. Yeah, I think um I think a lot's being made of this semi-final thing. Um and I think it's more it's more media and and you know people around football than than uh, the squad than the Man United squad and you know the players and the manager and that type of thing because I think it's just um it's I can't remember who they've lost to in every one of those semi-finals, but it's always been a good, good team. Like it's it's not like they've sh- they should have won, like a hundred percent of the time, and they've they've you know been turned over by a team that you'd expect them to beat nine times out of ten. It's usually been you know Man City in a semi-final or Tottenham or someone someone decent basically, and it. So you know when they when they get to this semi-final, they play in Roma. I agree with what Steve said. It they're they're not a special side. Um, I don't think that this is the strongest Roma side that has been in the last few years. Um, it's still okay. It's still decent, um, but they're nowhere near the title race in in um, in Italy. And I think they'll. I think it's Man United to lose, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right with the opposition that United have faced in semi-finals. They faced Manchester City twice in League Cup semi-finals. And then it was Sevilla in the Europa League semis last season. And I think Sevilla went on to win the competition, if I'm not mistaken. And then they lost 3-1 to Chelsea in an FA Cup semi-final. And of course, Arsenal ended up going on to beat Chelsea in that final. So like you say, they've not been beaten or undone by teams uh, that you'd expect them to beat comfortably. That They've always been teams that you'd expect to put up a fight. But I suppose that's the case when you get to a a semi-final of a competition but the mentality I think will be questioned by some just because Manchester United are a huge club and it's not something that they're used to doing falling at the semi-final stage they're used to getting to the final and winning those trophies last night it was Edinson Cavani who scored his 50th European goal Steve to get the ball rolling for Manchester United there's been claims all throughout this season that he wants to leave Old Trafford after just a season there there was the incident with the social media post that he made and do you think if he does leave this summer after just one campaign he would be considered a success at Manchester United? Absolutely um, I think he's he's done what he was brought in to do um, I don't think he was going to be you know a starter every single game you know given given you know the point he's at in his career but I think when he's come in he, he's took his opportunities and, and he's delivered to United um, I mean, he's just evergreen for me, isn't he? You know, I mean, he's thirty-four years of age, and um, you know, some of the stuff that he's still doing on the pitch, I think, is outstanding. Um, you know, he's he's a proper proper player, and um, you know, obviously, if United could have got him two or three seasons before, that you know, that would have been magnificent for him. But I just think that, yeah, you know, free transfer. Obviously, he's probably on large wages. I'm not quite sure what they are, in all honesty. Um, but I think you could look at it and just go, yeah, you know, versus someone like Agallo who come in and had a little purple patch at the beginning and then just like was, you know, moved into obscurity, if you like, and that before his his loan finished, I think Cavani's got to be classed as a success for them. And he's, um, you know, they, they brought in for me a, a genuinely, you know, um, elite class striker and, and he scored important goals for him you can't ask for more than that yeah definitely you'd think that in the Premier League some of those goals that he scored I'm thinking about late winners against the likes of Southampton and a couple of other goals as well whether Manchester United would even be in second at the moment if it wasn't for for some of his goals they have been important another important one last night what do you think about Cavani Marley do you think the United would be foolish to to let him leave it seems like he wants to leave if you believe all the reports but as Steve says, he, he seems like a really useful asset to have. 
not so much in front of goal because he's obviously great at that, but also behind the scenes on the training ground, helping some of the younger players like Mason Greenwood, who could really learn off of his experience. But yeah, but when when he's been on the pitch, I think he's been everything Man United want and needed from from a centre forward. You know, um, Martial struggles to to lead the line physically. I think Cavani's the opposite of that. I think his experience shows he scores scrappy goals when you know. Um, you know, not every goal you can score needs to be a worldie. Um, I think Cavani gets you them goals where the goalie fumbles it. I remember one against Fulham earlier this season where he was right uh, in the right position type of thing, and it, it summed up where you know, like his experience knowing exactly where the ball's going to drop if if it does drop and things like that. And obviously, we don't know about the um, the impact he's had on the training pitch, but it can't. I think if you put quality players in on the training ground every week, you can't fail to to adapt um, and to learn from them. And when you're the age Mason Greenwood is, um, you know you're playing playing alongside, you know Rashford, Bruno, and then uh, Cavani in in more focused sessions is um, is invaluable for a kid who's who's 18 years old and you know wants to be probably a centre forward uh, for the rest of his career. So yeah, um, I think the it would be wise to keep him for another year, but particularly with South American players, they always like to go back home at the end of the um, at the sort of at the end of their career. And Boca is a massive club in in South America. I know it's not from Uruguay, but he's, he's always said he wanted to play for them. I think um, so. It might be quite hard to keep him when uh, when home is calling type of thing. Naturally, obviously, if Cavani does leave, that will open up a spot in the squad for a new striker. Steve, Manchester United are often linked with the best strikers in the world, just naturally because they are one of the biggest clubs in the world. Haaland has been touted as someone who could go there. Harry Kane is someone who's been touted as possibly going to Old Trafford. So if Cavani does leave, what's the avenue that Manchester United should take, in your opinion? I'd probably be looking at Harry Kane. In all honesty, I think that you know United, you know, he fits the profile for United. I don't, I don't think they'll be deferred, you know, sorry, deterred by his age. Um, I think they'll be looking at it and going if we can get three or four seasons out of a prime Harry Kane where he's going to get 25-30 goals a season across all competitions that's a smart piece of business for him even if it does cost anything between 120-150 million um, I certainly think they've got the means to do it um, because they're a giant football club the only issue I've got is the owners really whether they've got the stomach to fund a deal of that nature because you know Harry, I don't think Harry would want um like, you know, Haaland or Mbappe wages, you know, I think you, you could probably get him, you know, for, for 250 grand a week, something like that. I think um, these kind of big wages seem to be coming from continental players, don't you, rather than, than English players. And I think that um, it's whether the, I think it's whether the owners have got the stomach to do a deal of that magnitude. Obviously, I know they paid 90 million for, for Pogba, but that was, what, three or four seasons ago, something like that. Um and I think it'd be a no-brainer for him. I think that um, United want to get back to, to where they've been. And I think, you know, they've been quite fortunate with, with getting into second place this season because I think that they've not really, there's not been any credible competition from anywhere else. I think, you know, um, Chelsea, Liverpool, uh, Tottenham, Arsenal haven't really been, you know, where they should be really. And Leicester obviously do fade away, as we know. But I think that for them to, to get into a race when, other teams are on, on song. If if Tuchel in his second season at Chelsea gets them clicking, and if you know Liverpool reinforce and some of them rebuild that squad, um, you know it, it, they've got to be in there and they've got to be in the mix. And I think Harry Kane gives them that, and he also gives them some leadership as well. Um, you know, in that dressing room as England captain, and I think you know he he's a man you'd want on the pitch if you if the chips are down at any point, you know, to try and turn it round because he, he he's a fantastic player as we all know, and we've waxed lyrical about him, and I think. If if you were being pragmatic about it, I think, you know, yes, all the headlines are about Haaland at the moment, but I think the deal is financially going to be just astronomical. I think it's not going to make any, a lot of sense for a lot of clubs to do that deal. And I think that... And there's the yeah. Riola factor as well, Steve, isn't well, there? Yeah, Obviously, yeah. With, with Paul Pogba, he's one of his clients as well. So I, I think Manchester United may be keen to distance themselves from him a little bit after everything that's kind of yeah. come with the Paul Pogba situation. Absolutely, and I, I don't know why any club would, would want to deal with Raiola because, you know, he's, he's, he's disgusting the way he conducts his business. And, you know, do United want to bring in another player where Raiola's talking to the media all the time about moving him on to his next club? 
Mm. Um, I, I don't think they'll do on it. I think when, when Pogba eventually leaves United, whether it be summer, the summer after, or the summer after that, um, I think United will will probably have a policy where they don't really uh, deal with Raiola unless mm. it's through an intermediary and he, and he's not involved in it. Um, but yeah, Harry Kane for me to answer your question, mate, and I think he'd he'd be a great fitter and I think he'd do a do a brilliant job for them. Yeah, Sir Alex Ferguson famously not a big fan of Mino Raiola, and I still think Sir Alex has communication often with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the powers that be at Manchester United on a regular basis so it would surprise me indeed if, if they do deal with Raiola but I'm really interested to see what route Manchester United do take because I have no idea who they'll bring in I think you're absolutely right Steve with what you say about the finances and stuff like that but regardless their next focus will be of course Premier League action before they do take on Roma in the semi-final of the Europa League they're through Manchester United after beating Granada 4-0 on aggregate Talking of 4-0, that was the scoreline as Arsenal smashed Slavia Prague 4-0 last night away from home, ensuring they get safe passage through to the semi-finals as well. Before we talk about the game, Marley, for me, a contender for sports image of the year so far in 2021, at least in my eyes anyway. And that was the shot, the aerial shot, which we saw in the TV footage of the game last night, the camera behind the Slavia Prague players who had all decided to link arms and stand next to each other at the beginning of the game when we often see players taking a knee. But at the forefront of the Arsenal players who did take a knee in front of those Slavia Prague players who decided to all link up together on the edge of the centre circle was Alex Lacazette. And he just looked so determined, assured in himself that he was doing the right thing. And, you know, just that was a powerful picture, I thought. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, I agree with it. Um, I think he could have stayed back, you know, stayed in his own half. I mean, um, you know, he didn't need to go that close to them. Um, but I think just to make it all that little bit more powerful, um, he did. And I think that's what the uh, this 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 protest, the kneeling should be. It should be powerful. And I think when we when we've been doing it for months, um, it kind of loses its impact. Um, but it needed it needed to have an impact uh, last night against you know, a team that has just had a, a player done for racism um, and banned for ten games at Kudela, the uh, the defender, and he, you know, we all know, we've all seen the um, the incident. It was clearly, you know, it's it's indefend undefendable, and then for Slavia to to double down on it and say, well, we're not racist, we didn't do anything. He didn't he didn't say anything. Um, the statement they released was an absolute joke. Um, basically, you know, just denying everything and and saying, well, you know, prove it. Um, we're not racist, blah blah blah, um, and you know, it was nice to see. Do you know what? I actually thought that give Arsenal a little bit more um, motivation, um, and when you know you, you don't need motivation to go and beat a team uh, in a Europa League quarter final, but and to add in the fact that they're all, uh, you know, they're all been they've been done for racism. They've then stood behind the guy that um, that's committed this offence. And then to uh, to to sort of stick the fingers up at the protest as well and say no, we're not doing that. It just gives some give Arsenal something else, and I think that's why we're seeing them, you know, absolutely slaughter Prague four 0 I don't think the Prague have been beaten at home all season. Um, I think they're they're very far ahead in the uh, in the uh, the domestic league. And fair enough, Arsenal went there and yeah. thought, yeah, well, we need to do this for football, not just for us, we need to beat this 100%. this racist team and, and try and uh, kick racism out of football on the pitch as much as we can, and I think they, uh, they did that. Yeah, Arsenal absolutely smoked them. That first half, they were scintillating. It seemed like, along with Marley and myself, Steve, many a neutral were supporting Arsenal last night for the reasons that Marley's just underlined. 100%. Um... I, I mean, I don't think there's any place in football for you know or, or society in general about the beliefs that um, uh, appear to be prevalent in the you know Slavia Prague mentality. I mean, it goes all the way up to the top in in there because I think the prime minister's written to UEFA as well to try and kind of protest about the ten game ban, hasn't it? So, I mean, even you know the the, the powers that be are getting involved, and I just think it's an absolute horror show for them. Um, and instead of you know. I mean, I know it's a different podcast this late, you know, but I just think I agree. I think that the taking of the knee has lost its impact. Um, and I think we've got to find a different way to, you know, to get that message out there. Um, 
you know, in a more productive way, really, because because like you said, when you've done it for four or five months or whatever it is, and every time some highlights come on Sky, are going, oh, and then the players have took the knee again. Yeah, yeah, we know, but mm. you know, racism is it's probably gone up since that started, mm. and you know, in all honesty, or, because or Steve, I suppose it was always there, and just now it's been reported more often. Yeah, uh, maybe. And maybe yeah. it wasn't reported as much before. Yeah, I just think that the. Um, uh, yeah, the Slavia Prague a disgrace, and I just think that you know I was very very happy to see Arsenal whack them last night and mm. play some and some incredible football, probably the yeah. best football we've seen Arsenal play all season. Mm. And um, and we've said it about you know Mikel Arteta's team because they show us these little glimpses of it, don't they? Now and again, and last night they, they were devastatingly good, and you know let they're no mugs. They they've beaten a few decent teams along the way. Um, and for Arsenal to go there and and you know and absolutely spank them, it was very mm. satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. They just look utterly determined. I mean, where's that ruthlessness been all season, Marley? And as you say, you don't need motivation to get up for a Europa League quarter final. And then there's the other added ingredients that we've just spoken about. But where's that been in the Premier League? There's been too many indifferent performances from Arsenal and people can point to injuries and a transition season and a change in style and philosophy and trust the process as Mikel Arteta keeps banging on about but you surely as a fan are watching that last night and thinking why haven't we played like this more often well maybe they just need to play a racist team every week (laughs) I don't know um yeah you might struggle in England but yeah um I don't know it's I think it's just the way Arsenal are now I think sometimes they're they're very hot sometimes they're, they're very cold um there hasn't been consistency at that club for you probably go back years and years. Um, I don't know how many years, probably seven or eight years. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we know that when they get it right, they can get it very, very right. You know, they won the FA Cup last year. They beat Manchester City. They made them. They came up with a game plan and executed it to perfection against Man City uh, last year in that semi-final to beat them. Um, and then they went on to handle Chelsea in the final, which is um, sort of the the pinnacle of what Arteta's done so far, obviously, um, and he'll be hoping he can do it again in this uh, in this Europa League because all of a sudden, like, even if you're saying about Arsenal, like they're hot and cold and blah blah blah, and they're not as good as what they need to be, Arteta could end this season having won a trophy in both of his seasons in charge now, and you can't really you can't really uh, overlook that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Because we could be. We could be sitting here in you know two months' time saying Arteta won the Europa League and qualified for for the Champions League and finished eighth in the Premier League, but also he won the FA Cup last year. Then he won the Europa League. You can't sort of say he's he's not doing a good job because even though he's done poorly in the league, if that's how they finish, he's still done the hardest thing to do in football, and that's win trophies. Um, so there is there is clearly something there with Arsenal. Um, they still need a bit more rebuilding, a bit more time, I suppose. Um, but, you know, when they get it right, they still can be a very, very good team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast, if Arsenal failed to win the Europa League and failed to get in the Europa League qualifying spots in the Premier League, it would be the first time they've not qualified for European competition since 1995-96. So a remarkable European record that they've got of competing on the continent in every season for 25 years and yet that is at risk and I just wonder if Mikel Arteta is aware of that and knows the importance of winning the Europa League for a side like Arsenal. That being said Steve that's now four English teams in European semi-finals of course City and Chelsea in the Champions League and Manchester United and Arsenal in the Europa League. Do you think that tells us much about the Premier League this season in what has no doubt been the weirdest campaign of all time? Yeah, I just think it's it you know highlights the strength of the Premier League, doesn't it? It's by far and away the most competitive league in the world, with the I think you know some of the strongest teams in European football. In obviously you know you've got to take the likes of you know Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, and and you know a Barcelona when they're on song uh, into the mix as well, and PSG of course now. But um, I just think it it's levels above. I mean, I've talked about it before on on the podcast, and I've said that. A lot of these leagues in Europe are, are in danger, and I suppose there's a little glimmer of that in the Premier League with the, with the money Man City have. But um, it's just become they're becoming so one-dimensional, aren't they? And I think with with England, um, we've had teams like Leicester, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United, 
um, and, and Man City win, win the league in recent times. And um, I think it's good. I think it's really good. Um, and I think that, you know, we are the envy of, of you know, a lot of European um, leagues around the world in terms of quality players that want to come here and, and the and, and the level of coverage and the, the test that it is. Um, because it's not for every player, as we know. Many players have come to the Premier League and failed, haven't they? But um, I just think it was so strong as a league. It's, it's really positive to see. And I think that... Um, you know, we're probably going to have English winners of, of both of them competitions, which again is, is good news. Yeah, certainly it kind of takes me back, Marley, to the, I wouldn't say golden era of Premier League teams in European competition, but you think back to around the mid-2000s where you'd pretty much have a Premier League team in the semi-finals or final of the Champions League every season. You know, 2005 was Liverpool, 2006 was Arsenal, um, 2008 was Chelsea and Manchester United and then Manchester United got there another couple of times and Chelsea won it in 2012 so you know maybe we could be approaching another uh, decent era let's just say for English sides in Europe yeah I think we could um, you know uh, I think I don't really know why it is it's just it tends to work in circles doesn't it and, and cycles um, but yeah I think a lot of the European clubs across Europe the top ones, the elite ones, you know, your, your teams like Juventus, Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, even Bayern, they're not as they're not in their best moment at the minute. I think if like Juventus have had a new manager, um, you know, in his first sort of rookie season in Perlo, and then you've got you, uh, Barcelona with their money troubles, the Messi troubles, and Koeman coming in, upsetting everyone, and uh, trying to do it his way and being a bit of a dictator there. Real Madrid haven't not playing at their own stadium, um, not quite looking as strong as they have done in recent years, although still able to get to the semi-finals without too much hassle. Um, it's just allowed the Premier League to just be the juggernaut that just carries on, and say, you know, well, you know, we're we're still here, we're 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 as good as we have been in the last few years, and then you get Chelsea who, who make the controversial call to get rid of Lampard, but. I don't think anybody doubted what what a coach uh, Tuchel was, and um, probably realistically backed them to to still to get better under him. Even though it was harsh on Lampard to to get rid of him, I still think. But it was never necessarily the bad choice to to bring in someone like Tuchel who's got experience and and has been to the you know the final and things like that last year, for example. And he can take them far. Well, in 2012, they ditched uh, Andre Villas-Boas, didn't they? And they got Roberto Di Matteo <laughs> in, which I know is nowhere near the same as the comparison you're making. But no, they made the change and they ended up winning the whole thing. Yeah, that was a bit of a rogue one, weren't it? Um, I don't, where is Di Matteo these days? What's he doing? Is he managing? I haven't got a clue. We spoke about this the other day. Me and Steve in the office, I think he's not had a job since he was the manager of Aston Villa in 2016. And we all kind of looked around at each other and was like, he managed Aston Villa? What? When was that? And, and you know, I think he's been kind of in the wilderness <laughs> that, ever since. wonder if that was before or after the uh, Tim Sherwood Gillet uh, spell. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm looking at him now. He's, uh, yeah, he hasn't worked since Villa. That's crazy. He hasn't worked in five years. What's he doing? Strange. Anyway, um, yeah, back to Chelsea. I mean, you know, there's a 50% chance that, we're going to get English winners of, uh, of both competitions, which is fantastic for the Premier League and only uh, only helps in the next two or three years of, of big, big transfers, you know, players that want to come to the league um, and and sort of prove it that the that they can play at the highest level, which is the Premier League right now. And uh, I do think we can be a little bit um, arrogant about how good the Premier League is, but when you can back it up by, by saying, you know, Half of the semi-finalists in the in the two Europe European competitions are English sides. Then it's hard to you know, it's hard to argue for anyone else like the Bundesliga or the Premier or the um, Spanish league or anything like that. I don't think you can realistically say that they're better leagues when you can when you know the stats say that you know the um, the English teams can can dominate in Europe. Yeah, and just want to say as well, congratulations to Arsenal, but also get well soon to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who's revealed on his Instagram page that he's got malaria, uh, which he picked up on international duty with Gabon uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think it takes between 7 and 18 days to show symptoms of malaria, so he's been saying that he's felt under the weather for the last few weeks, and it turns out that he does have malaria. Hopefully he recovers 
from malaria as quickly as Didier Drogba did a few years ago. I think it took him <laughs> 18 minutes or something like was that yeah. <laughs> to recover. Yeah. That was quite funny. Classic. Um, anyway, well done to Arsenal, well done to Manchester United. Four English teams in the semi-finals of European competition, but Premier League action returns this weekend and the focus will be there. And if you're a fantasy Premier League player, your focus will be on getting your team right for this weekend's games. And good job we've got Matt Dyson coming up next on Football Social Daily to give us all the tips and tricks you need. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It's getting towards the end of the week, which means the FPL deadline is fast approaching. And joining us from the Game Week podcast, we've got Matt Dyson. Good to see you again, Matt, or speak to you virtually, of course. Yes. Hello, Niall. Good. Great to speak to you once again. How's tricks? Yeah, very, very good. Have you managed to get yourself to a beer garden yet? I was in one just about two hours ago. Had a <laughs> okay. little bit of a lunch. I had a draft Guinness, a pint Ooh. of draft Guinness, which was very nice. A couple, only a couple of pints. Then I went to pick the kids up from school, uh, which, you know, as long as you don't smell of booze at the gate, it's fine. <laughs> and I only had two pints, so I was still reasonably responsibly in charge of my children, who, are, you know, they're six and nine, so they're fine. But, I'm more yeah. concerned about whether your advice is going to be done because you've had a couple of <laughs> well, Guinnesses. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, it's never been great, to be honest, has it? It's ne- I don't think anyone's basing their entire season on my advice. So, But, I'll, you know, I've got some ideas that I can throw your way. Some of it might stick to the wall. So some of it might not. <laughs> we'll see. Well, let's start then and get stuck into Kev's question, which he sent into us via Instagram. Cheers mm. for your question, Kev. He says, I've saved my triple captain for a double game week towards the end of the season. Was that a smart thing to do or a stupid thing to do? When are the double game weeks likely to level out? Interesting question this, Matt, because there well, are a yeah. couple of sort of single games this week, I suppose you could say, or at least next week with a, a game on yeah. Tuesday. I think Chelsea are playing and then a Monday nighter as well. So this is a good question. Yes, it is very timely as well. I mean, the the uh, the received wisdom of the FPL experts is that you should leave your chips till the end, till the business end of the season. And uh, certainly, I mean, there are doubles to come and it's better to get a double shot with a triple captain, isn't it, surely, than just having one game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I suppose the and, and you know there are I think what there's still um, Everton and Villa have got a double coming up that's not been confirmed yet. There's this double now with Spurs, so arguably a Spurs double could be time to drop a triple captain on a on a Harry Kane or a Son Heung Min who finally got back into the goals uh, for Spurs last weekend. So I mean mm-hmm. that's potentially a good could be a good time to play. Uh, a triple captain or wait for further doubles because there will be more with other uh, cup tournaments coming up uh, you know there's the, the fixtures will be affected there will be more doubles to come so yeah I mean the I think most people say that you should keep your your free hit your triples yeah. until like the last few weeks but then of course at the end of the season well I mean teams like Man City and Liverpool well certainly Man City with their high rotation it's like you can't guarantee Every your player's going to play twice mm. in a double, can you? So you can't really guarantee that, especially if they've got their minds on on bigger things like Europe. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's never a perfect time. I mean, I never, I haven't had a perfect triple captain since Aguero scored a hat-trick about three or four years ago. So, I mean, <laughs> it often goes wrong. I find I put so much, so much pressure on myself with the triple captain that it, it rarely works out. Well, last season, I went against that grain and played Mm. my triple captain the first game of the season. I think Liverpool against Norwich, it was. Um, It feels like ages ago now, I triple captain Salah and he scored a couple of goals and I I felt vindicated for the rest of the season. I thought, at least I'm not going to feel bad for it now for the rest of the campaign. It also gives you a little boost. It gives you a little head start, doesn't it? So yeah, I can see the attraction of doing that, um, certainly. But I mean, I think it's sort of seen as to be the best thing to do is to finish strong rather than start strong, you know, because that's when it really matters. I suppose... On that, we had a question on Wednesday's podcast about whether this could be the worst Premier League season ever in terms of quality (laughs) and stuff like that. Because with seven, eight games to go, 
everything's pretty much been decided apart from the top four. It looks nailed on that City are going to win the Premier League. It looks mm. pretty certain that Sheffield United, West Brom and Fulham are going to go down. Yeah, I so, so yeah. you know when you're saying about saving them all up to the end when mm. teams have got a lot to play for, well, I suppose this season there are plenty of teams that don't have too much to play for, especially yeah. around the mid-table region. That's right. And then I suppose you don't know who's guaranteed to start for those games if they've sort of already clocked off and they're planning their holidays. You know, I mean, it's, they're not going to be trying to hard. Yeah, <laughs> try, yeah, so yeah, they're staying local, <laughs> their staycations, you know, they, they, will, uh, they might, might not be trying as hard. So, I mean, yeah, many schools have thought about when the best time to play a triple captain. I, just go with your gut instinct, I say. But yeah, mm. in terms of the season, I don't like this fantasy football season, mainly because I've had a really poor run of late. But I just feel with the lack of fans, it's not, I, I've written the season off. I don't even class it as a real season this season because like, yeah. there's, the, the, there's no fans. It's not a normal season. There's no home and away. There's no home advantage. You know, it's just it's just a very weird season where strange things have been happening. So mm. I've written it off. So if you're you know if you're worried about your position in your your mini league table, just write it off. That's my advice to you. This is a season <laughs> we just want to be over and done with ASAP. <laughs> well, Stephen, he's worried about his mini league, his work league. In fact, he wants to know where he can get some differential defenders. This is Stephen's question. He says, "I desperately need some clean sheets or assists to boost me up my work league. Any ideas, lads? Wow. I have no idea, really. Yeah, really. That's why Matt's on. He's the expert." <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Uh, in terms of differentials, so I mean, obviously Dallas is one not to get because pretty much everyone, twenty-five percent, pretty much of people own. Dallas, even though his sort of unexpected brace against Man City took some people by surprise, and a lot of people had him on their bench, so didn't really benefit from him. But he's owned by far too many to have any differential advantage. But the ones that are a bit that are doing well, that are going to start, that some people might not have. I'm sort of looking at Villa defenders with that double on the horizon. I've had Concer for a lot of the season. Mm. He keeps getting up for corners, looking like he's got a goal potentially in him soon. Target's been pretty good for assists, Matt Target. Uh, all around the sort of five million and below mark. Uh, Mings is often quite a, a good value uh, defender for, for for Villa as well. So I've sort of got, mm. I've just got my own Villa defenders. And I also think because of their favourable run of fixtures, Wolverhampton Wanderers defenders. I mentioned Patricio on this podcast not long ago, his favourable set of fixtures. And he started with a clean sheet in the Fulham game in that little yeah. run. So, I mean, I just think, well, I mean, anyone who's playing Sheffield United at home is guaranteed a clean sheet and goals. So that's their next game, Wolverhampton Wanderers. So I'm looking at particularly Sice. I mean, he's quite well known as being a, a decent fantasy point scorer now, Romain Sice. Uh, but um, he, mm. uh, see, he reminded me on the highlights of the weekend that he took a free kick. And I thought, oh, yes, I've forgotten that he takes free kicks as well. So he has goals in him. Uh, you know, he's, he's potentially going to get clean sheets against the likes of Sheffield United, Burnley and West Brom. So I quite like the look of Wolves defenders. And then, uh, of course, um, in terms of West Ham defenders, now Cresswell is out with a hamstring probably, probably not going to play against Newcastle. It seems that Soufal is on the rise again. He seems to suddenly be getting assists and weighing in with assists. And at 4.6 million, he's an absolute bargain in that West Ham team that are just flying at the moment. And them away at Newcastle, you'd fancy him to potentially get an assist in that one as well. Is it worth looking at Kurt Zuma if you do have a little bit extra change ah. to spend? Because obviously with five goals this season in the Premier League in 19 games, yeah. it's his best goal scoring return. And of course, Thomas Tuchel has turned Chelsea into pretty much a clean really sheet has. machine apart from that yeah. game against West Brom which was an anomaly so it any was, chance yeah. of, of looking at yeah. maybe some of those players? Certainly I mean Kurt Zuma's been but I think Kurt Zuma's not he's not guaranteed a starting place I, I got quite infuriated with the rotation of the defenders that Thomas Tuchel had I found like Aspilicueta's pretty much the only one that seems to be guaranteed a start Yeah, like because even like Chilwell looks really good when he plays but then he doesn't he, he's getting rotated quite heavily and the same with Zuma, and Zuma's great for a goal from a corner, as we saw the other week. So, you know, but um, yeah, at 5.3 million, he's a bargain. But will he play every game? Will he start every game? I'm, I'm not 100% sure. No, it's a good point, but I, I certainly would be looking if, if, you know, you're looking solely for differentials, if you're prepared to spend a little bit more than 5 million and take that risk of potentially yeah. not seeing him start, then I think Zuma could be a, a good shout on that front. Certainly. Excellent question, Stephen. Hopefully you can uh, boost up your work league and you can torment your friends for the next seven or eight <laughs> games of the season. Final question comes from Jasmine and she 
asks, is it worth going for just one premium striker and two money savers and investing in five points scoring midfielders? It doesn't seem like many strikers are scoring freely at the moment. Yeah. I guess DCL's gone off the boil a little bit as well. He's been a bit of a FPL legend this year. He has. He's really gone off the boil and now he's out injured for what he's got a groin problem. He's not going to be back for a little while. I mean, I wasted my time with Richarlison up front for Everton as well. And like he has been atrocious. <laughs> I mean, he of late. You know, when you watch the the highlight, you watch the, the recap on Sky Sports and it's got the little rundown of highlights. I think in the last game Richarlison played for me, it just kept all on the list. It just said, Richarlison miss. Richarlison miss. Richarlison <laughs> miss. All the chances were just him missing. So like, he's been infuriating. Timo Werner's it's been like a, a game of battleships. <laughs> yeah. Timo Werner's been a massive disappointment. Um, so yeah, a lot of the big money strikers aren't delivering. Even weirdly, because uh, I put Ian Acho in, which I, I was delighted to put him in. He got two goals in his first game since I signed him the other week. Uh, and his price is on the rise, obviously, because he's one of the, the form strikers in the league. He's now six million. His price has gone up to, but I mean, he's a bargain of a striker. But he, uh, in terms of, yes, I think it is a good idea to get two cheap strikers and one expensive one, maybe. So like Harry Kane and then... Perhaps, but then there's there's good options on the cheap striker, like Ollie Watkins and Ian Acho, like I mentioned. You know, they seem to be... And now Wilson's back from injury, I believe, for Newcastle. Uh, mm. I, know, I know they're sort of struggling. Uh, but, you know, if, if they are going to score, he's sort of likely to score. Yeah, so I'd say I'd say that's probably a good balance that to have one expensive and two cheap. Even Chris Wood has been back amongst the goals for Burnley, and he's only six point three. So yeah, just stay away from Richarlison is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's on the idea of point scoring midfielders. You mentioned Wilson, but also Alan Samaximan came oh, back to yeah, Newcastle with a bit of a bang, didn't he, the other return, day? Two yeah, goals, massive goals for them, and they're obviously fighting for them for their safety still down the bottom, even though it looks like probably Fulham, Sheffield United and West Brom are the ones that yes. are going to go down. Newcastle are by no means out of it. So, you know, with the impact no, he's made and probably being one of their better players. A real bargain at only 5.1 million, certainly, yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, he he has been very good. He, he came back from injury recently, didn't he? But, you know, I, I, I don't think we can overlook, we can't completely rule out West Brom, uh, Big Sam do, doing a miracle. Like, that's what he does, you know. And the way they've <laughs> been playing of late, you sort of cannot yeah. rule out that happening again. But they've got some really hard games coming up. So, I, I mean, I just don't know what's going to happen with West Brom. But uh, I just feel like they they're, they have some play, like Pereira, who's just been scoring bucket loads for them unexpectedly in a team that are right down the bottom. Yeah. Even Johnson in goal got 15 points at the weekend. It's like you're in goal in a team that looked doomed pretty much at the bottom of the Premier League and yet you're still delivering massive points. So, yeah, I wouldn't completely write off Big Sam purely because it's Big Sam as well. <laughs> He's been down the pub having a pint of gravy, I think, this, this week. <laughs> Big Sam. A pint of wine or a pint of gravy. He's definitely been back there. He's so. definitely got one one of each, maybe. Yeah. One oh. for his dinner. One yeah, for... a pint of gravy and a white wine chaser. That's how he likes to roll. <laughs> so they still serve chasers these days. I think that's <laughs> an old-fashioned sure. thing. <laughs> yeah, but I think it probably is. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if you if you combine them together, it, the gravy and the white wine, That was maybe it would... Uh, sort of coagulate I'm not 100% sure you know like if you mix Baileys into some horrible yeah. shot right, it congeals <laughs> in your stomach I think that's probably what would happen with Big Sam's Bisto well we call it the gravy chaser but that sounds like a nickname <laughs> for him at school you know Big Sam <laughs> the gravy chaser absolutely oh. Matt been great to talk to you again mate um, where can people find the latest podcast when it's out uh, it will be up on all the usual places, Acast, iTunes, wherever you get your Apple podcasts from, wherever you get them from. You'll be able to find it. Just search Game Week. And we're at Game Week HQ on Twitter. Happy days. Great to speak to you, Matt. Catch you again next time. See you later, Niall. Cheers. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sports Social.
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Thanks very much to Matt Dyson from the Game Week podcast for all those FPL tips. Don't forget you can get your questions into us if you've got any questions about fantasy Premier League because let's be honest, most of us here are rubbish at the game but Matt Dyson knows what he's doing so let us know your questions via social media at the Sports Social on Twitter, Sports Social Official on Instagram and just search for Sports Social on Facebook and you'll find us there. DMs are open so slide in there, send us a question if you've got one and that includes for our Wednesday podcast where we do AQA which stands for All Questions Answered. So if there's anything you want us to discuss, let us know and send us a little message on social media. Time now to talk about the Premier League reportedly being set to push back the penultimate game of this season to allow for fans to get back into stadiums. So the second last game of the season is set to be rescheduled to the weekend of the 18th of May to accommodate up to 10,000 fans. Of course, this is in line with the government's roadmap out of lockdown because, of course, the coronavirus pandemic is still very much upon us and it will be treated with caution by the FA and the authorities when it comes to football in this country. That coincides the 18th of May with, I think, the first day after stage three of the Prime Minister's roadmap has commenced. Up to 10,000 fans in stadiums. Is this a good idea, Marley, do you think? Or do you think we've had too many delays in this season's schedule to kind of push it back again a, a little bit? Do you think that would be a positive? Uh, well, to be honest, if you've had this many delays anyway, what's one more? True. <laughs> you, you know, you might as well. Um, it would be nice to have fans in. I think if it's... I mean, what the 18th of May is that like a how how long a pushback is that is that one or two weeks? Yeah, I presume so. I'm not I'm not entirely sure. The final weekend of the season is I think the so the final day of the season is the 23rd of May, where all games kick off at 4 p.m. But I think because of you know murmurs about whether it's going to be fair or not to have fans in stadiums when it's the final day of the season and things could still be decided, I think that's why they've decided to push back the penultimate games of the season to allow for supporters in ground. Yeah, well, I don't really have an issue with that. I think if you're going to do it, I think everyone has to have chance to at least have one game um, in front of the fans because, you know, you can't just do the last game because half the teams are going to be um, at a disadvantage and whether they've got things to play for or not, I think that's always an impact. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all right with it, to be honest. I think... Um, fans have, have waited so long and especially if if this Carabao Cup final goes ahead without any any hitches then um you know you've you've got your is it 8000 fans at, at the Carabao Cup final in April in a couple of weeks time so i think um if that goes well then you know you you want to try and roll it out and have this as a little test um to to see if we can uh, we can logistically work it um before the end of the season because it'd just be a nice little lift for everyone who've gone you know, 99% of the season without being able to go and watch their team. Um, for some teams, it's it's a blessing. I mean, not many Newcastle fans would have wanted to go and watch them in this season anyway, but, you know, um, plenty of other sides have, have missed it massively. Um, so, yeah, I think... Uh, I think I'm, I'm, if it's 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 the sake of, a, of, you know, a week or so, this, this delay, so it's not like it's a massive one. Um, so, yeah, go for it for me. Yeah, I think it even might even be a day just pushed back to the Sunday just so that it falls in line with the regulations uh, to be honest Steve I just think they should just hold out till next season wait for it to be a full house next season clean slate then you don't have you know any question marks any queries anything like that do you think it will be the case where we get back to full Anfields and Old Trafford's and St James's Parks next season I hope so um, I'm, I'm on the same page there I think we should just leave it till next season in terms of bringing people back Um you know, I just think that it's it just opens a can of worms. Um, but yeah, let's just make sure we're out of the woods and, and get everyone back next season. I think um, if anything, to stop the morning Liverpool fans saying, "Oh, you know, it's it's unfair the fans not being in Anfield and all that." God, I'm sick to death of hearing that. Uh, in all honesty, and even as as our listeners will know, I'm a Liverpool supporter, but um, I just think that yeah, um, get everyone back in safely in August uh, when the season starts again. And um, and hopefully we won't have any more um, disruptions. I think that trying to shoot for um, a date that that could change is just gonna just gonna expose us. And um, yeah, that's that's my opinion on it. Everyone's on a level playing field. Then 
Champions League, relegation, all sorted out. Everyone knows where they stand. Um, no competitive advantage for anyone. And um, let, let's go again for next season. But yeah, I think it's been a very, very odd um you know, eighteen months, you know, in Premier League football and, and and all football really, and I think that we will all be glad to see the back of it uh, when it happens. Where, you know, these players are going out to full stadiums, and the only thing we need now, to be fair, is the ability to be able to celebrate a goal properly. I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, was that a little dig at VAR there, Steve? By any chance? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, reports that have yet to be confirmed, but the Press Association are claiming that the Premier League is set to push back the penultimate games of the season to allow for fans to be in stadiums. It will only be up to 10,000 in line with government guidelines, but certainly a step in the right direction. And hopefully by next season, we will see full stadiums again. And what a moment that will be. The first game of the new season in August, the curtain raiser. Maybe England might have even won the Euros by that point, but I think I am getting a little bit ahead of myself. Time to talk about Leeds now because more rumours to talk about here on Football Social Daily involving Marcelo Bielsa. He's denied reports of a two-year contract extension being close to being signed at Leeds United. This was reported by Argentine paper La Nación and you know, it's his way of doing things, Marley, isn't it? Leaving it very, very late, putting pen to paper almost in the summer, a matter of weeks before the new season. Do you think now that after three seasons of Leeds fans being used to his way of working, that this comes as any surprise? Are there still going to be those jitters that he might kind of leave on a bit of a high and walk away from the club? Uh, there is there is always that doubt. Um, but I don't think that anybody at Leeds, Bielsa included, thinks that his project's finished um, at Leeds. I think, you know, as, as we've said before on the podcast, he's, he does things his own way. He's very project-based. Um, when he feels he's taken a team as far as he can, then he, he calls it a day, pretty much. Um, he's done it in the past. He's walked away from the Lazio job after three or four days because promises were getting broken. And I think as long as everyone's on the same page, um, I think he'll he'll continue for for at least another year, probably another two. I don't think he ever signs two-year deals. I think he only ever signs one-year rolling sort of contracts. Um, and that is the way he's always, well, not always worked, but he's worked for a long, long time. Um, and yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think he feels like he's done with Leeds. I think he's done what every Leeds manager has been tasked to do with um, over the the past 16 years, and that's getting back to the Premier League. And not only has he gotten back to the Premier League, he's got him to a comfortable mid-table um, at the minute, you know, probably not going to have a push for outside, a, a, like a European place or anything like that. But, you know, the, the building blocks and the foundations are there. Um, and you see the, the players they're signing, you know, they're going and signing best players from teams. Rodrigo was one of the best players at Valencia. They've, they've gone and got him. Um, Rafinha was probably Ren's best player or one of them. Um, along with uh, Camavinga, but you're never going to sign him. But Rafinha, go, go and sign him. And then, you know, um, Diego Lorente as well was a starting centre-back for years for Sociedad, and they went and got him. So that's just testament to the pulling power that, that he brings you. And when he's your manager, you know, everybody wants to work under him. Everybody gets better. Everybody gets better coaching and becomes better players. I think still 75% of that lead squad is the championship squad. Um, but because they've got such a good manager, I think they've they've performed to uh, a sum that is greater than the sum of their parts type of thing and uh, yeah I don't think I don't think he feels like he's done so I think he'll stay for another year at least yeah and I think with that that leads to concerns for me as a neutral for Leeds United that if Bielsa does walk away what happens to Leeds do they collapse you know do, do they end up Oof. fighting down the yeah. bottom of the table because of the squad that they've got and you know we've seen teams like Fulham who have got a decent crop of championship players and then they'll sign players from the continent who appear to be really good additions and it crashes and burns for them we saw that two seasons ago at Fulham so I don't know whether the the similar thing will happen to Leeds if Bielsa does leave I suppose Steve even though we know it's his way of doing things and Marley's right he does leave it late and he does often sign a one-year contract but do you think it causes concern for the players or the club about what happens next if they're not really hearing anything from him with just six or seven games to go and obviously they need to start planning for next season, Leeds United. So, you know, if he leaves it quite late, that can cause perhaps a little bit of stress behind the scenes. Yeah, I think it can. I think that, 
you know, Leeds are going to be in for a quite a bumpy um, summer, I think, um, because I think that you know some of the some of the uh, so-called bigger clubs will will come round and start circling for the players that are in there. Um, you know, I, I think Rafinha will probably move on in summer. Um, you know, he's got a whole host of admirers um, in the Premier League and, and in other leagues, and I think that um, you factored that in with Bielsa leaving it so late, and then you know, is Bielsa going to be pissed off if these players are getting sold from underneath him? Um, I just think that it, it's going to be a really interesting summer for him, um, and hopefully, you know, they can come out of it with him in charge still, and and have another go to the Premier League next season and try and, you know, work their way up the table because I think the Premier League does need, need Leeds United in it. I think they're a big football club, and and they bring, you know, um, they certainly bring something to the Premier League, and um. But it is. It's very worrying when you've got a manager who wants to sign a contract a few weeks before the start of a season. Um, like you say, for planning purposes, and you know, and, and Leeds will be saying to him, "Who do you want us to go and sign?" You know what I mean? What's what? What's who you're after? Were you know? Would you need reinforcements in in the squad in summer? And um, it's really tricky. And I think maybe this has come out. It might be kind of like you know, Leeds trying to engineer that conversation happening a bit sooner. Um, you know, because things get leaked to the press, don't they? And then agents are on the phone going, oh, you know, what's this coming to the press? You know, what's all that about? Oh, why don't you come in and have a chat? All this stuff. Um, I think they need it. And I think, you know, if you can sign early doors, certainly, you know, in the next four weeks or so for another year, um, I think that'll give them that security. And um, and like you say, it'll be the um, the security that, that the players need that mm. there is a, you know, project somewhat being built there. Marley's right. If he's likely to sign a deal, it's going to be a one-year deal. So if that is the case, Steve, what do you think his goals will be for Leeds United? Is it more of the same next season as we've seen in this, comfortably finishing mid-table and avoiding relegation? That had to have been the remit at the start of this season. But what do you think the goals will be next season? Because obviously Leeds are a big hitter in terms of being a an English club, one of the most popular clubs in the country, I think similarly to Newcastle, a club with supporters who probably feel that they should have been achieving greater things over the last 20 or so years. So so what do you think their goals will be if Bielsa stays for another year? I think it'll be to, to pretty much, you know, just slightly advance on where they are now. I mean, the 10th in the league, aren't they, at the minute? Um, they're not in bad form. They've won the last three games. Um, and I just think realistically, that, you know, unless... You know, there's some kind of mad investment, or or there's a complete collapse by three or four teams. Um, they're probably going to be topping out at tenth, aren't they? Um, you know, because every all them teams that are above them at the minute, you know, from Arsenal upwards, um, you'd expect them to finish above Leeds United every season. And um, I think you know if they can sign some kind of you know mercurial talent that that can get them an extra ten to fifteen points a season, who knows? But um, I think you know. You know, bottom of the top half is is where Leeds really should be aiming, and I think um, if they can kind of you know win some silverware, you know, like the League Cup or something like that, I think you know finishing anything above tenth and and at the League Cup would be massive success for them. What about you, Marley? You've obviously worked at Leeds United uh, when they were in the Championship, so you know the club well. And I kind of liken them in terms of the size of the club to to your team that you support, Newcastle United. So you kind of have a little bit of a greater understanding of the inner workings of the fan base and stuff like that. So, you know, we've mentioned on the podcast before about the realistic expectations of Leeds and perhaps some of the wider dreams of them going forward. What do you think the aims and aspirations for Marcelo Bielsa should be? Should he put pen to paper on a new contract? Um, I think this this season's been been a dream, to be honest. I think they've never been in trouble They've always looked um, positive, you know, Man City haven't beaten them this year, they've turned Man City over at the Etihad, they've had some sort of standout moments. Um, so next year I think maybe if you can do, even if they did the exact same, I think they'd, they'd still be happy, they'd still be happy with the progress. Um, okay, maybe you can get a little bit closer to the top eight, I think they can they can realistically do that, because once I think they, they get a bit more consistency, I think... Um, they they can they can push on and and get a, you know a sort of top eight finish if uh, like Steve said if anybody drops off they need to be there or thereabouts to um, to take advantage of that you know if if Everton's um, spending doesn't happen you know doesn't um, sort of produce into uh, into a really good team then could you could you over overtake them Arsenal as we've said they hit and miss 
Um, you don't know whether they're going to have a good season or a bad season. Sometimes that you can maybe look at them and say, can we can we overtake them in this race for the top eight or nine or whatever it is? So I think, um, yeah, I think this, the next season, if they do this, what they're doing this season, they had a, they had a couple more players. They still they carry on doing what they're doing, finish ninth or tenth. I think that'll be fine. And then the season after that, I think that's when you start targeting the top eight and saying, right, we need to have a proper crack at this. Because usually to go from, you know, to go up the the league in any sort of serious way, you're talking four or five places, you need to add two or three players, like top, top players into your team. And that takes, you know, two, three uh, summer transfer windows where you can go out and you can identify the right player. And then you know negotiate with them and sign with them. You know January's rubbish for for that type of thing. You seen what Leeds did last summer? They signed the players we talked about before: Rodrigo um, for thirty million, Lorente for twenty million, Rafinha for twenty million. If they can do something like that again this summer, you know go and sign a left back, for example, a quality left back which they need. Another couple of midfielders. There's no reason why they can't keep slowly climbing that league table and and look towards Europe in two years' time. So. I think that's, that should be the remit for Leeds and I don't think it's beyond them, to be honest. Well, Marcelo Bielsa has distanced himself from rumours that he's set to sign a two-year contract extension at Leeds, but it wouldn't surprise me if he does sign a one-year extension, as Marley said earlier. Still waiting to hear any further concrete reports about a new contract for the Leeds boss, but interesting to talk about it nonetheless. And with that, we've reached the end of Football Social Daily. Thanks very much, Steve. Thanks, Marley. Hope you guys both have a great weekend. Don't forget... We will be, of course, previewing the weekend's Premier League action. Only a smattering of games this weekend, but Sky Sports' Michelle Owen and the Athletics' Sam Lee will be joining me for the preview show, which you can catch tomorrow morning if you subscribe. That way you won't miss it. And, of course, Fergal Brennan and the gang will be back on Sunday. That's it for another week of Football Social Daily, Monday to Friday. And we'll catch you next time here on the podcast. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.